Amen. What a great song. Appreciate that. We had a great time as we were in Israel this uh, past week. And, uh, you know, the scriptures just really come to life as you walk at these places and remember all the things that happened there. But for me, one of the more memorable things was standing on the Mount of Olives with our group and thinking about something that has not happened yet. As we stared across at the eastern gate of the city that's been sealed shut, and we talked about that great day that's coming when Jesus will come back and enter through that gate. And as we did that, Evelyn led us in singing, Soon and very soon we are going to see the King. And that was an incredibly memorable moment for me. But I'm so glad to be back here this morning. And I want to start the next few weeks where I want to preach a series or preach some time, spending some time talking about the church and why the church exists. I know that we are creatures of habit and we can just um, go through the motions by waking up each week and coming to church and spending time in Bible study and all the different things that we do at church without ever really considering why the church exists. We know that it uh, serves some good purposes and has a positive impact in our life, but we don't really ask the question, but what's the church supposed to do? So I hope for the next few weeks to get us to clarify what those purposes are. And uh, for here at us here at First Baptist Church, to get us all on the same page as we ask the question, what does God expect of us as a local congregation? And I really hope to dial us in on the same page so we can look and see where we are headed as a congregation. As we went uh, touring this uh, past week, last weekend, one of the first places we went was Caesarea Philippi, which is a city north of uh, the Sea of Galilee, uh, up at the base of the Golan Heights. And it's an ancient worship site um, for the, the god Pan. And so it's there, they call it the, uh, the gates of hell. And so Jesus took his disciples up to this area, and the first mention that we read in the Gospels of the word church is in Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus is asking, who do people say that I am? And Simon says, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as he's saying this there, the people expected that were his followers that God had, or Jesus had a plan. A plan to bring his kingdom and establish it on earth. And the disciples thought that those plans came crashing down whenever Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and arrested. And then put on trial and then crucified. And now he's lying dead in a tomb. And they're thinking, what were those plans all about? We must have totally misunderstood. Then of course three days later, their hopes are restored as Jesus is resurrected. And is, uh, they get to walk with him. They get to see him. And for 40 days, he spent time with them. And then he takes them out close to a mountain where he says to them, And I want you to go into all nations. And he talks to them about carrying the mission to every tongue and every tribe. And then he, to their surprise, ascends into heaven. And he leaves them there all alone to finish this plan of establishing Jesus' kingdom on earth. So Luke tells us in Acts 2 chapter 1, I mean chapter 2 verse 1, that 50 days after the Passover. So this is the Passover where Jesus and his disciples were gathered in the, uh, what's known as the upper room. He celebrates uh, the Seder meal there, the Passover. We remember it as the Lord's Supper. 
He has that uh, time with them there together. And 50 days later, they're there once again. And they've gathered in that upper room. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And so that Thursday, I mean that day, they were gathered in that room that we remember as the upper room. Well, this past Thursday, our group went up to Mount Zion where they believe, many historians believe, this was the location of the upper room where Jesus celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, where that became the home base for them. And here they are gathered in this upper room, and they're, they are celebrating, or they're there at least commemorating in the city, uh, Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, 50 days after Passover. And it's in this place that the church begins as the Holy Spirit falls on those early disciples of Jesus. The Spirit manifested himself in flames of tongue that are there and then all of a sudden empowers them to begin to speak in different languages. They don't know intelligible words to those who knew that language. And those who were in the city heard this amazing event taking place, the sound of a mighty rushing wind, so they gather close. Then they hear these men speaking in their native tongues that they didn't know. And then the church began to move out, and most believe that Peter went down to the southern steps going up to the Mount, Temple Mount, and it's there that he begins to preach to those who are gathered to listen. And he declares that the Jesus who they crucified was the Messiah. And so I want to read to you from his conclusion and then also their response. So Acts 2, where we're going to be this morning, Acts 2, verses 36 through 41, I'll read to you. It says, Therefore... Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, the Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children And for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So the gift of the Holy Spirit brought growth and clarity of purpose to the early church. And what I want to propose to you this morning is the local church that is filled with the Spirit, the Spirit-filled church, will be a body of believers who is united in purpose. So what purpose should the local church fulfill? Well, the early church demonstrates to us that the local church should be united around worshiping the Lord, witnessing to the lost, and walking in the Spirit. So we're going to look closer at those purposeful statements as we uh, study this passage this morning. In verse 4 of Acts chapter 2, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So this is what happened when the Holy Spirit came on the church. Jesus' plan for his followers was never to leave them on their own. From the very beginning, he intended to, uh, as he ascended into heaven, he intended to send the Holy Spirit to be their guide, to be their teacher, to be with them. In fact, Jesus himself declares this to his followers in John 14, 
Verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. So, as the Holy Spirit comes on this gathered group of believers, there was a special manifestation of power that caused them to begin to speak in languages they didn't know. Remember, from the very beginning of time, people spoke the same language, but then they were gathered there building this tower at Babel, and God confused the people's language. Well, now God's doing something new, and it's in this place that he begins to break down that language barrier, and these people were speaking in tongues they didn't know. So the church, on its very first day of existence, was fulfilling its ultimate purpose, which is declaring praises in every tongue. That's what was happening. On the day of Pentecost. So Luke says that those who heard this were overwhelmed. In verse 7, they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? The end of verse 11 says, We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. So they were not just speaking uh, words that didn't make sense. They were not just speaking um, about different things that were not important. They were praising God with their words in these various, various languages. And so what I believe is that we learn that the church of Jesus Christ is to be a body of believers who is fully engaged in worshiping the Lord by declaring the mighty deeds of God. And I don't know about you, but I would have loved to have been there to hear this, you know, to hear what they were saying and what were the mighty deeds that they were speaking of. Perhaps they were talking about how God just spoke and all of a sudden light comes into existence. And then he creates the sun and the stars and the moon and he scatters them into space and then he forms the earth and on the earth he separates the the land from the water and he uh, inhabits this earth, he filling the seas with uh, fish, filling the earth with beasts and the air with the birds of the sky. And then he takes dust up and he forms man out of the dust of the earth and he breathes life into the lungs of the first man. And then he establishes a covenant with his people. Then they rebel and God, this mighty God, sends judgment on the earth but he saves Noah and his family. He establishes another covenant with the people. And the people end up in slavery. And then in mighty way, God delivers his people by performing incredible things before Pharaoh. Then he splits the Red Sea and they walk across on dry land. And then there's the day when Joshua and his mighty men are having to face army and they need more sunlight. And so God causes the sun to stand still so that they can continue to fight. And then he takes a boy named David to go and fight this giant named Goliath who was taunting God and taunting the armies of God and David slays the giant and then after the exile he delivers Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego from a fiery furnace he delivers Daniel from a den of lions and then he delivers mankind by sending his son Jesus who dies on a cross but three days later brings him up from the grave and the hope of all creation, is that we can have forgiveness of sins found in Jesus. I don't know if that's what they were talking about. But you just wonder because he is the greatest. He's the highest. There's none better. There's none bigger. 
And that's what all these people were hearing in their own native tongues. So those gathered in Jerusalem the day the Holy Spirit came on the church heard praises to God in every language. Well, that should be the same thing that's happening today. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he declared to his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Folks, that's still our mission. That's still our goal. Every tongue and every tribe. Our, as a church, our goal is not to see us praising God together. I mean, that's an important part of what we do. But that is much too small a goal. We want to be part of getting witnesses to the gospel in the uttermost parts of the world so every tongue and every tribe will be gathered around the throne of God. That is not some other church's goal. That's not some organization's goal. That is our goal as a church of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? Well, fortunately, we have a plan. As Southern Baptist churches, we unite together to make sure that we can have missionaries and representatives in every tongue and every tribe. That's why we give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It's why we give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. It's why we give to the Janie Chapman State offering because we want churches and gospel representatives everywhere on this planet. Well, not only that, we decide that as a church, we want to accelerate that. This past November, we entered into a capital campaign called With Faith. It's to deal with some things here as a church that we need to face with regards to some upgrades. Um, it also has to do with the fact that I believe we need to accelerate what we're doing in missions. And so 10% of everything that's given towards this $1.5 million goal is going towards global missions, which should amount to $150,000. So with that, we want to make sure that people in this congregation can have the price offset so they can go. So they can go and be a part of these mission trips. So they can go to places where the gospel needs to be preached. Not only that, as a part of that $150,000, we want to help establish a church in a city, in a significant city in our country, where there is little evangelistic witness there. And so we're going to give towards that. Not only that, we are focusing our attention as a church missionally on a specific part of the world, East Asia. We're saying that God is doing something in East Asia. We want to be a part of it, so we're going to be praying for it. We're going to be giving funds to it. And if God wills, we're going to be sending teams there. Not only that, we've identified a people group we're going to be praying for that doesn't have a gospel witness. That's what we want to be a part of. A week from Wednesday, we are having a special missions night in Ellis Hall during our regularly scheduled dinner and prayer meeting where we're going to hear from an IMV missionary who's in East Asia, and we're going to be talking about the many opportunities that you can have to be a part of global missions here at First Baptist. The goal is seeing the worship of God increase in the world because the people of First Baptist Church are united around that purpose to see that happen. So as a local body of believers, we exist to worship the Lord. The early church also demonstrated unity and purpose around witnessing to the lost. Verse 14 says, But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. 
Now you can go back later today and read uh, Acts 2, but this is an incredible sermon. The first sermon that we know of Peter preaching after Christ's resurrection. And the people of Jerusalem, what what Peter says, if if you read it, I'll give you a little summary here. He presented Jesus as the answer to man's dilemma. Now, you may think, well, what's man's problem? The people of Jerusalem and Judea knew they had a problem. In fact, they're there celebrating the Feast of Weeks. That's a reminder that God gave the law. On the Feast of Weeks, on Pentecost, they celebrated that Moses went up to Mount Sinai and came down with the law. And they knew they violated the law. That's what the sacrificial system was all about. So they could receive forgiveness. Well, Peter declares it was Jesus' death on the cross that achieved salvation that mankind needs. He then explains that Jesus is raised up from the dead, which is a way of validating that, yes, indeed, you can have eternal life. Jesus has achieved it. And then Jesus was exalted. And because he's exalted, he can send the Holy Spirit to be with us. He's reigning over all creation. He will put down every rebellion. And he will return. That's what uh, Peter's preaching. In summary, Peter expressed to all who would listen that Christianity is not some set of new laws. It's not new customs for us to observe. It's not inherited religion or a way to look at history. Peter says Christianity is a person. Christianity is Jesus the Christ. That's what he's saying to these people. And then he says in verse 36 that we already read where we'll focus. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. That's the gospel message. You want to know what's this gospel thing you talk about? That's it. Jesus who was crucified was not just some man who claimed to be a leader and stirred up rebellion and dissent among the people. There have been plenty of people to do that. But not Jesus. Jesus is God's son. And in his death, he took upon himself the sins of the world so that salvation could be available to anyone who would receive him, to anyone who would believe on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what Peter says in verse 21. Quotes it from the prophet Joel. Verse 37 says, the people that were listening were pierced to the heart. You know, that's not always the response that people have when they hear the gospel. In fact, in the book of Acts, a couple chapters later, you'll read where Peter is preaching. And it says the people are cut to the quick. In other words, they're totally angered by what he says. And they start to discuss, what are we going to do with these people? Then Stephen, a few chapters later, begins to preach the gospel. Once again, they're angered by that so much so they stone him. They have him killed. But that's not what happens here. Rather than that, they are cut to the heart. They're convicted of sin. Sometimes those who are far from God will respond to the gospel message with anger, sometimes with conviction. Well, those gathered in Jerusalem when Peter preached in Acts 2, they understood the point. They said, look at what we've done. And they realize what's available in Jesus, and they say, so what should we do? How can we respond to this? Peter calls for two responses. He says in verse 38, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. To repent is not only to confess sin, but it is also to turn and go away from sin. To go a different direction. So it requires a change of the will. So the second response was for them to be baptized. 
In other words, make a public declaration so that everybody can see, just like we celebrated a minute ago, my sins have been washed away. I'm following Jesus. Now, some read verse 38, and they believe that Peter is saying, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ in order that you might receive the forgiveness of sins. In fact, your version may sound a whole lot like that, the translation there. That totally goes against everything that the gospel teaches. In fact, the rest of Acts does not contend that. Rather, instead, I think the understanding of the words that are used in this verse is that you are to be baptized on the basis that your sins have been forgiven. Since you've been forgiven, show the world by being baptized. So along with the two responses, the believer receives two gifts. First of all, you receive forgiveness of sins. So when you call on God in repentance, then you're guaranteed forgiveness of sins. Baptism is the way to proclaim to a watching world, my sins have been washed away, I am following Jesus. Secondly, the believer receives, Peter says, the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's for everyone who believes, not just specific people. Everyone who believes receives the Holy Spirit. Now, you may not be walking in the Spirit, but God extends to you the gift of the Holy Spirit to indwell your life, to be with you, to go through you, uh, go, uh, go through life with you. That's what he's there for. So Peter says this message is for everyone. In fact, he says in here, even for those who are far off. In other words, not just for the Jews gathered here in Jerusalem, but even for the Gentiles. You know what that means? Even for you, generations later in a far off place. That's who the message is for. So what did the people do? Verse 41 says they received the word to repent and then they were baptized. Now, because of the old city of Jerusalem, there were mikvahs or ritual baths everywhere. It's easy to understand how all of a sudden 3,000 were baptized. Because there are places there inside the city gates and right outside of it where that could have happened. Well, Luke tells us on the single day, the first day of the church, there were 3,000 people added to the number of those who believed. So we started with this small group of believers, and in a matter of minutes, it grows to more than 3,000 who establish the first church, the early church, the church that we follow in the wake of today. I believe there's maybe some significance to this number 3,000. If you think back to the days of Moses, the Feast of Weeks commemorates the time that Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, comes down with the, with the law, with the Ten Commandments. Now you'll remember, remember when Moses did that, he went up to Mount Sinai, he comes down with the tablets, and what does he find? They're worshiping a graven image, right? They've made a golden calf, and they are celebrating and worshiping this. Of course, Moses is incensed. He's so angered, he throws down the Ten Commandments. He's furious by it all, just like God was. Well, the Levites, the Levites, they had remained true to God. So they came to Moses, and he said, God's going to bring judgment, because there's a law here. The very first command says, you shall have no other gods before me. On the first day of the law, they disobey. They break the first command. And so he tells them what you're going to do. He says, we're going to go through and punish the people. He said, strap swords to the side of your, uh, your legs. And I want you to walk back and forth among the camp of people. And God struck down, as a matter of fact, I'm going to read to you from Exodus. Exodus chapter 32, verse 28. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. So on the first day the law was given, 3,000 men killed. On the first day, grace is offered. During the Feast of Week celebration, Pentecost, 3,000 men receive eternal life. 
What a contrast. What a contrast between grace and law. Well, I think the main point of this passage is since the first day of its existence, the church has had the purpose of witnessing to the lost. Folks, we are not meant to be a church that's only concerned about those who are inside this building. We should not see ourselves as trying to reach Christians and get more Christians gathered together to join us in worship. We are commissioned to go and share the gospel message with those who do not believe. We must reaffirm today our commitment to witnessing to the lost. When's the last time you shared what you believe with those who don't believe? You don't have to preach a sermon like Peter did in Acts 2. You know what he did? He recognized where the people were, and he told them what he knew. Well, you can do that with people that you know, and you know where they're coming from. Speak to their situation and tell them what you know, that Jesus offers the hope of salvation. And then you say, will you believe that? You know, I'm afraid the tension in our culture has led us to the point where we're afraid to tell people these things. We're afraid they get, might get upset by the whole idea. If there's ever been a time for us to share the hope that's in Jesus, it's today. Our purpose as a congregation of believers has got to be to share with those who are outside the walls of this building. That's not somebody else's responsibility. It's yours. The early, the early church united around the purposes of worshiping the Lord and witnessing to the lost. Finally, they united by walking in the Spirit. Let me read to you the last six verses of Acts chapter 2. Verse 42 says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Verse 42 says, The community of the local church was continually devoting themselves, which is to say they were very stubborn about this. Very stubborn about these four activities. First of all, continually submitting themselves to the apostles' teaching. This means they were not only concerned about sharing with the lost, they were also concerned about seeing believers discipled to become more like Christ. So they submitted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. That would have been the teaching of Jesus about his life and his ministry, his death and resurrection, uh, about the truths of how God wants us to walk in the Spirit. Now, they were continually submitting themselves to that. You know what that means? Obeying, not just hearing, but putting into practice, regularly committed to that. Second, they were devoted to fellowship. Verse 44 and 45 expound on this idea of fellowship by explaining that they had everything in common. Now, some argue that this means that it was a communistic culture, that they just, nobody owned anything. But you know, the scripture says they had possessions. But what did they do with it? They sold it. They, they made sure, they were generous with what they had. So they gave to the work of the church from everything they had, and they gave to make sure those inside the congregation didn't have needs that were unmet. They were looking out for one another because they looked around. They said, this is my family. 
And they cared for one another, just as Christ has commanded. Third, they were devoted to the the breaking of bread. Now, of course, that brings to mind the Lord's Supper. So they were celebrating, commemorating the life of Jesus. But in other words, it wasn't just that. They also were celebrating in meals together. They were interconnected with one another. It wasn't just that they walked into the room, saw each other, and left. They spent time together. They broke bread together. They shared meals, and as a part of that, they would commemorate the life of Christ. Fourth, they were devoted to prayer. Now, that probably meant that they continued to participate in those Jewish times of prayer there in the temple or in the synagogue if they weren't in the city. But I think it also means that they devoted themselves to meditating on the Lord's Prayer that we remember, the one that they were taught by Jesus. But Jesus also taught that they were to be intimate in their prayer life. So rather than just reciting something they memorized, they had conversation with God. They were devoted to prayer. Luke also says there was a certain sense of awe on the people. That's to me, that means that there was this certain level of worship that permeated their everyday living. They also were experiencing a time when the Holy Spirit was being generous in a way that they were seeing signs and wonder. So much so they, they couldn't forget about God. You know, mission, um, mission historians tell us that um, especially whenever God is moving among a first generation of believers, among people, that they're were signs and wonders that show up. We believe this is happening right now in the Muslim world as people are responding to the gospel there. But verses 46 and 47 repeat a phrase that I want to draw attention to. It says, day by day. The writer points out that daily the people were visiting the temple, which likely was for evangelism, witnessing to what they knew, but also discipleship, submitting themselves to the teachings of the apostles. They were daily enjoying the times of learning, of fellowship, of caring, of worshiping. And it was taking place with gladness and sincerity. That means generosity. With all of that taking place, then verse 47 says, God was adding to their number day by day. So walking in the Spirit is to be a day-to-day reality. It's not just a weekly thing. We don't put it off until we gather here today and fill our spiritual appetites here. Day by day. Not only that, I think the point from this passage is that God's plan is for the church to grow day to day. The church is a living movement. It's not a stagnant organization. So there should be real growth taking place. And I think that's growth through learning because we're spending time in his word, spending time with one another growing. We're growing through fellowship. That's why I think Sunday school is so important. You sit across from other people. You pray for one another. You care for each other. You minister to one another when you have needs, so grow in fellowship. Third way, I think you grow by witnessing. Folks, we cannot be satisfied by seeing one another each week. Each week you sit here, I hope you think about who's not here. And you say, God, who is it? Who is it that I need to be praying for? That I need to be sharing Christ with? God, who will you bring before me this week? That I might tell them the hope that I have within me. I'm just going to tell you, we're not growing as Christians if we're not sharing our faith. First Baptist Church is a congregation that follows in the wake of the early church that began at Pentecost with the Holy Spirit when he came down on those early believers. Our mission is no different than the original purpose of the early church. We are to be a congregation that is united through worship of the Lord by witnessing to the lost and by walking in the Spirit. Our Father and God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the example of the early church. Father, I pray that we would not neglect what it is you have for us as a congregation. Help us to be faithful. 
specifically in these areas. God, we also pray for those here who don't know you, those joining us by television that don't know you, that today they would respond. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If God's speaking to your heart, I would hope you would respond. It might be to join the fellowship here. You might say, I need to place my feet in a church. Well, today you can do that during our invitation. You might need to believe on Jesus for the first time. You said, I keep saying I believe, but I've never really responded to the gospel. Perhaps that's what you need to do. You can do that during our invitation. No matter what, I pray that you would just listen to the Spirit as he speaks to you. And say, God, I just want to follow you. What do you want me to do? Just like those men said who heard Peter. So I'm going to invite you to stand. As our choir sings, you respond. I'll be down front if you have a decision to make.